Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rooftop Podcast. And I am super stoked uh, today to have my guest with me, um, DJ Yokely. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. More importantly, I'm going to let him tell his story. Um, but before we do, um, you know, the whole focus of this series of podcasts uh, on the rooftop <clears throat> is, is what I'm calling the buried stories of East Palestine, because I really do, after spending uh, some time there with some amazing leaders, one of the things, one of the biggest things I came away with was this haunting familiarity with how the real leadership and the real actions always get buried uh, by the, the bigger story, you know, the bigger sensational stuff. And the real tragedy in that is that some amazing things are happening. Some, some really powerful lessons learned are available to us. And, you know, on this podcast, we always talk about what it takes to lead at a local level, to lead from the bottom up, to, to operationalize that upswing of social capital and, you know, find your pineapple express. So, um, you know, just to refamiliarize everybody, I've done a lot of work uh, out in this uh, part of Ohio. I have a lot of friends out there. Uh, I've done a lot of coaching, a lot of speaking, a lot of veterans work in and around the Youngstown, Pittsburgh area. Um, and East Palestine is no exception. I've, I've got some great friends out there and I've made some, some great friends as well. And this uh, gentleman that I'm about to bring on is no exception. Uh, DJ, uh, you know, I'm going to let your story uh, speak, but just one of the things I was so impressed with you was as a business, a small business owner, uh, your resilience, your attitude, your point of view, your leadership, uh, and all the things that you're doing right now to keep that town moving. Um, in spite of having gone through a lot yourself. So uh, it's really, it's really an honor um, to have you on the show, man. And to have you give your perspective. Scott, the pleasure is all mine, man. For you coming into town and, and kind of relighting the, the, the candle for us, it, it means a lot. And um, the leadership that you showed and, and the, the, the words that you expressed during your time there. And I got to spend the entire day with you. I felt privileged and honored. Uh, still this day, still telling stories uh, to, to some of the people that I know in my circles. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to hear from you again and and naturally, uh, you know, continue the story about, you know, what happened in East Palestine and how we're going to get back on our feet quicker than uh, quicker than later. Yeah, right on, man. And and I, I, it was the honor was actually mine. I'll tell you that. And, you know, I have to say before we start off, I still don't re regret the move to the hot dog stand, man. I think it was the <laughs> right call. I know we had I know we had supper like ten minutes after that, but I if I had it to do over again, I'd do the same thing. Well, and that's why we love you, man. It's it's always it's a series. Of, leadership is a series of of questions you have to answer to yourself. And and the biggest right. question was, are we going to be able to eat twice in the matter of twenty minutes? And you answered it, man, spot on. Anybody who knows me knows that was a dilemma in in real time, right there. So, <laughs> well, hey, man, let's jump into it. You know, one of the things I I, I had. Um, I had Trent, your mayor, on the show. Yeah. Uh, loved talking to him, and and we we had a really really good conversation. And one of the things I started out with him on, and, and I would love to ask you the same question: is <clears throat> what would surprise people uh, about the chemical spill and everything that's happened around that? Like, what's something that would really surprise people about that that event that they they probably don't know from your perspective? Uh, from my perspective, what would surprise people would be that this town was divided before the spill happened. Um, it was divided with people that were, were, you know, everybody leads their own life. Right. Uh, but it was, it was a very town that was split down the middle. You know, some people are, are, are very, 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 very hardworking people that work for everything they, they possibly get. Um, and some people just aren't, um, some people are on, you know, had, had another kind of upbringing and things of that nature. And this has brought out kind of the best and the worst of everybody. Um, and it just it, day to day, it just depends on what side of the bed you wake up on. Um, sure. you know, there's, there's a lot of people that are looking at this glass half empty and there's a lot of us that are silent majority that are looking at this glass half full. And, you know, at some point, we are going to have to be a community again and, you know, sit at the same tables that we sat at before the derailment. And this is, this has put a, a kink in the armor, so to speak of, of our community. And, um, you know, that's, that's the one thing that I don't th think people realize is, is we're trying to put a unified front on, 
but there's a lot of determining factors that are, are going on right now. A lot of people's livelihoods and um, their their futures have changed for either um, the better or the worse, depending on which way you look at it. I, I tend to look at, you know, our, our future is dependent on, on me. I'll always bet on myself like yourself. Um, I like to bet on me and the people that, that help me become who I am today. And, um, it's, it's my job as a leader to, to try to, uh, to make their lives better and instead of worse moving forward. Yeah. Spoken like a true entrepreneur, man. And, um, you know, you definitely, that's one of the first things that I picked up on you was your entrepreneurial spirit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, you know, uh, your connection to East Palestine. And, um, I'd love for you to pivot into, you know, that amazing youth sports network that you've built. Um, so why don't you start with growing up and then just take us into that? Yeah, man. So I, I'm, I'm always just a kid from East Palestine. Um, grew up in a double wide. My parents did everything they possibly could to, uh, to, to give me everything that I have. And, you know, it was, it was, it was always enough for us. Um, you know, but, but it was never, we were never wealthy. We never, you know, had that, that going for us. My dad was a hardworking guy, got, got a GED. Um, you know, wasn't exactly educated. My mom uh, went to a community college. A lot of my family never went to, to a, a university. I was the first one to go. Um, we put everything into that. You know, I, I grew up a baseball player, lots of sports, love sports. Uh, the competitive spirit uh, that you find in, in DJ Yokely was, was built on the, the back streets of Negley, Ohio and East Palestine. And uh, being the smallest kid, just trying to, to fit in with everybody else and, and grind. And I had to work a lot harder than a lot of these kids did, um, you know, in school and on the, the court and, you know, on the, uh, and now on the microphone um, because I didn't have the, the talent that they did. You know, I didn't have the talent. They, I wasn't six foot tall in high school. Um, I didn't have the pop times, but what I did have is a better work ethic than most of them. Cause I knew that I was going to have to work twice as hard to be just as good. Um, and that benefited me, you know, to this day, because it, the work ethic, if you develop it early enough, it'll stay with you forever. Uh, and you don't have to worry about stuff like, like talent going away. Like I never, never had to worry about, um, you know, you know, I, I knew how to maneuver a ladder, you know, faster than anybody else. Cause I was shorter than everybody else and you, you get creative with stuff. Um, but that led me into to college, um, you know, got a, a degree in broadcast journalism, which I, I fell in love with, uh, played a little bit of, of college baseball. Um, and then, you know, I, I graduated, got a job at, at a, a local TV station here in Youngstown, um, you know, went through my struggles with that as well. You get the hire, rehire, fire, all that stuff, the layoffs. Um, and then, you know, went into the sales realm for a little bit learned a little bit about uh, how to present yourself even better and, and mixed kind of my, my degree with real world experience and uh, ipso facto built a youth sports network. We call your sports network, ysnlive.com. And, you know, we now have uh, from, we went from 29 uh, no's to schools around here that we were trying to give our product away uh, to 82 yeses here in, in 2023. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a journey. It's been awesome, but, you know, to think that, you know, either you're going to start a business or you're going to, you know, start a team, if you're going to start anything, um, it's, it's the same kind of atmosphere that they have in space, right? So the rocket ship takes off and you get through, uh, you know, the earth's gravitational pull. And that's the hardest part because once you get into, you know, the cosmos, that's the momentum that's taking you the rest of the way. Uh, I found that much of life is is just like that. The beginning is wow. the hardest part. And then once you get out there, yeah. the momentum will take you. Yeah, that's that's really cool, man. That gravitational pull, certainly for anything entrepreneurial, I found it to be the same thing as a fellow small business owner. But, you know, I was so taken by the Your Sports Network. I thought it was, I mean, just the concept of it, the idea of it, you know, and one of the things I think I told you is you better get ready because like, there's a lot coming your way, I think. And, but what I, what I love about it, DJ, is that it is something that is just listening to you talk about it and, and seeing how you're applying it in these local towns, local schools. It's so, it's so much bigger than you are. Like it's, it, it, it's actually, you know, we talk on the, on the podcast a lot about creating a movement, mm -hmm. about doing something bigger than yourself. <clears throat> what is it about this, this particular endeavor 
that is is bigger than you and 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 what is it that it offers to communities you know like I guess the thing that I've been telling people lately is, is when you start a business, you want to make sure that it's something that you wish you had back in the day, right? Like Mm -hmm. when I went to high school, I wish that there was something like a YSN that would help me get to college and maybe have more colleges be attracted to me by watching me on film. Um, So when we built YSN and as we continue to build YSN, I, I have that same concept in my mind. It's, it's constantly putting yourself out of business every day. So nobody else can. So I want to know where my weaknesses are. I also know where my strengths are. So being able to wake up every day and go, okay, where's my competition? Because I'm a competitor. Who's going to put me out of business if I can't put myself out of business? You know, protect yourself by by being able to engage yourself a little bit. Um, what's what's triggering me to keep going is these kids, these these student athletes who if I can help one get to college that, that didn't have a chance before, that's a life changing process. You know, I, I was okay. that kid. I, I didn't want to go to college. My, my parents used sports to get me to do something that they wanted me to do that I didn't want to do. Um, I, I despised school. I didn't like it. Yeah. It, it didn't intrigue me at all. I, I liked being out in the real world and getting that experience. Um, but if, you know, in the ripe old age of 38, if I can get somebody else that's, 17 to invest in themselves at 18 um, to go to college and, and, you know, get that student loan debt, which everybody talks about is, is, you know, trash. And it's, it's against, listen, there's nothing better than investing in yourself, nothing better. And if you can get a degree out of it and engage yourself and, and you get a better life than, than your parents had, then everybody wins. Well, that's awesome. And tell us a couple of the things just kind of at the tactical level that YSN does to make that happen so that we kind of have that because I'm, I'm wanting to paint the picture also of what life was like before this disaster happened. So what are some of the things that, that you do or that your company does to, to actually make that happen? Yeah. So we, uh, you could think of us like a regionalized localized ESPN. So having, um, you know, a sports network for every school in our area was, was my grand idea. And I guess the, the, the thing that I was, I was, crazy enough to think of was, okay, will this work? You know, will people buy into it? My, my thought was, okay, we're going to get a local announcer from every school, whether it be a student, whether it be a faculty member, whether it be a community member to do the, you know, the, the play-by-play and the color commentary for all these different sports and crazy enough, it happened, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. And, you know, we, we have, we started because the, the big schools got all the attention and the small schools got the back pages of the sports section. And our my idea being from East Palestine was we never got any love. And we want to make sure that we get those kids out and on the front page and on, you know, the, you know, every every East Palestine game that you want, every whatever game uh, from whatever school is going to be covered. And you're going to be able to know these kids uh, that you're bumping into at the grocery store better than, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning that, you know, you'll never meet in your life. Uh, and I, I thought it was important to not only tell the stories of what they do on the field, on the court, but also tell the stories of who they are off, off the field as well. And, you know, everybody, Scott has a story and it's so, right. it, it's so awesome to hear some of these stories at the age of 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 of what these kids have been through things that we've never gone through in our life. Uh, nor have we thought about because we've always had a tougher, right. Than they've had it. Um, right. But these, these student athletes and these coaches are going through battles that we don't even know about uh, because of technology and, and, you know, the, the, the mental health aspect of what they've got to do and they're being yeah. stretched so thin. And it, it's my job to tell their stories much the way that you do with, with your guests here on, on your podcast. And I think it's, it's imperative that we know that just because they're not 18 doesn't mean that they don't matter. Yeah, man. And one of the things you said to me as we were coming out of breakfast that really stuck with me was you said, because I was one of these, you know, you said, you know, some of these kids, this is, you know, this is, this is the highlight of their sports career. Like this is what they'll, you know, this will be it. And that was me, you know, I played sports in high school, but I didn't have, I just didn't have the game to, to go to the next level. But, you know, I think about, uh, and I grew up in a little town as well and, and how, cool that would have been to, 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 to have had a voice at some point in that high school career, a perspective to be asked my perspective 
Um, you know, and I, and I just wonder your thoughts on that because I know you do give a voice to athletes who also don't go on to college. Yeah, certainly. And there's, there's a lot of kids that go into the trades. There's a lot of kids that, that just decide that they're going to go into the workforce. And, you know, a lot of kids that go to the military that, that we're very, very proud of, um, you know, everybody serves in, in some capacity, right? You serve your community, you serve your family, you serve your friends. Um, I just love telling these stories. I love these kids who, you know, like for us, we go and we, we have these great high school careers in, in baseball or, or football or whatever it may be, volleyball, soccer. And there's more to life after that. But for some of some, some people, that's it. That's the, that's the most they're ever going to be loved in that moment by one community is because they want a championship or because they won a game on a particular night against their rival. And I, I, I have a hard time with that, you know, because I think we all have more to give later on in life. And I think sports is such a great tool for leadership and to teach us different um, communication tactics and, and leadership tactics and different tactics of just learning how to lose, right? Because we spend our whole life wanting to win, but we should learn how to lose before any of that, because we do a lot of losing in our life. We do a lot of having to pick up the pieces, um, you know, and, and I want to, you know, we are trying to express that, listen, just because you don't win a state championship doesn't mean that you're not important, you know? And, yeah. and, and that's what, what's tough is the media just is, is clips highlights. Right. And we yeah. want to tell the whole story. You know, we want, we want chapter by chapter narration of what it looks like for, for these student athletes as they go through, you know, seventh, eighth grade into high school. And then we want to make sure that those relationships are, are forged. So, if they need anything when they're in college or in the real world that they can come back. And a lot of them have come back, honestly, Scott, and have, have joined our team here at YSN, which is incredibly humbling. Yeah, man, that's so cool. And you know, what was funny DJ is you just said something that I think uh, I couldn't have paid you to do it better, uh, but it's to segue us into the actual event that happened. But, you know, you just said, you know, the, 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 the temptation and what the media tends to do, is the sound bites, just like with the sports, right? They give you the sound bites, the highlights, but you don't get the context. You don't get the full story. You know, and one of the things that that I learned when I was ser serving as a Green Beret and then, and then teaching interpersonal communication skills for years and years and years is that th the way our brain works is the brain is a storytelling brain. The brain makes sense of the world when it's presented with new information by telling itself a story. So if you just give sound bites, for example, then the brain will fill in the gaps, you know, and it will usually fill in the gaps with a story that is wildly inaccurate and usually based in fear or pain, right? But if you get context, if you get the full story or at least a deeper level of the story that is localized in nature, then the brain doesn't need to tell itself a story. It can actually synthesize that narrative that adheres with its own point of view. And all of a sudden now you start to get shared perspective. And I think that was one of the things that happened in East Palestine. It's happened in a range of other places where the media and its exuberance to get the story out into whatever shape it's ideology, it just, it sound bites, right? And then the folks that are living that event are, are left holding the bag. And so I want to now pivot into that local context. And, you know, one of the things also I'll point out to our listeners and our viewers is that DJ has built quite a platform for himself to take the microphone and give his point of view and his perspective. And I watched it. I watched him do it. I watched the way you navigate that town, the way you interact with people. You can tell that you have a voice, even though you don't necessarily have a formal title in the leadership of the town, you have a voice and which is amazing. Uh, and so tell us what a day in the life was like with, for you before the, before the event, what was a day in the life like for DJ? I mean, it was, it's simple, right? It's, it's Southern slow. So it was, you know, we're up here in Northeast Ohio. I, I wake up you have, have your coffee, you get ready for the day in your own way. Um, you head down to work and to me, you get to work, you know, you, you, you put your, you roll your sleeves up and, and you go to work. Um, a lot of my work is relationships. All of, a lot of it. I mean, I'm talking 90% of it is, you know, communicating, navigating and, and just right. continuing to build those relationships. Um, you know, having conversations about sports and about advertising and about, you know, cause that's how we raise revenue for, for our businesses is through advertising. Um, and, and just, 
you know, the way that you want it, right? The way that, that, the way that I thought about it when I wanted to build a, a sports empire, um, I wanted to spend the rest of my life talking about my family, my business, and sports. And that's it. You know what I mean? That was, that was, that's where it was cut up. And then, uh, you know, we actually, we were out of town when the train derailment happened. Um, we were commissioned by Game Changer, which is the, the number one sports app in the country, um, to go do flag football for the National Football League. And we were going to do the, 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 the youngers. And we, we did the, the younger kids the day before the Pro Bowl. Um, it was a Friday. We were in Las Vegas. Uh, nine o'clock here local time and six o'clock in Vegas time. And I got a text message that said there is a train derailment in East Palestine. And in my mind, for some reason, I thought coal car, right? Cause I think when, when I think of the trains that pass through East Palestine, I guess I think coal cars still. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, no big deal. Right. And uh, let minutes, me stop you there, DJ yeah, sure. real quick. I want to, I want to paint the picture for sure. our listeners. Um, East Palestine's a town of, we're around 5,000 people. 4,700. Yep. And you know, like five stoplights, not a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a small town and tell us how the train runs through that town and in relation to your office. Yeah. So, I mean, I look out my window right now and there's a giant building that used to be the Compco building there. And on the other side, about a, uh, I'm going to say about a nine iron away is the train tracks. And that's it. Right. Yeah, Yeah. You're on it. Yeah, you're on it. It's literally right through the town. So go ahead, please continue. You're out yes. in Vegas. So you'll 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 hear the train probably as I'm telling the story at some point. Um, out in Vegas, uh, six o'clock local time, getting ready to go to dinner. I got the the text message about the the train derailment, and again, I'm thinking it's a coal car. Um, Ten minutes later, I I get a text, probably thirty texts from people who know that I'm the kid from East Palestine. I'm the one, I mean, when you think East Palestine, a lot of times people have told me this the last three months, they think of DJ Yokely because I'm the guy that's, you know, kind of put East Palestine on that, that platform, that map, uh, at least here locally, regionally. And I get 30 text messages. If I got one that your town's on fire. So mm-hmm. I I'm away from my family. I've got a wife, two kids. Um, and I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, what, like, what is happening? I'm in a hotel room with, with four of my, my guys and I'm trying to figure out, you know, that the town's on fire. So it went from train derailment to your town's on fire. So the only thing I know to do is go on social media. And that was probably the biggest blessing slash mistake that I did in the entire process because my wife's not on social media. She's putting the kids to bed and I'm seeing live pictures, Facebook lives, Instagrams, Twitters, uh, Twitter, Twitter feeds of East Palestine on fire. And I can't place where the fire is and I'm getting communication and being, I'm a communication guy. I'm trying to figure out, okay, where did this derail in? Is my family okay? And the first, the first text messages that I got was the train derailed and somebody said it derailed about 600 yards short of where it actually did, which to paint the picture for you, Scott, where it derailed was not a good spot, but where it would have derailed 600 yards shorter than that would have been catastrophic. There is a gas station, a street, a gas station, the train tracks, uh, and then a car lot and a gas station. Also over there is a fire department, our fire department. Um, there's a bank on the other side. It would have absolutely, it would have been catastrophic. And there would have been lives lost. There would have been so much more things that could have went absolutely bad. But it right. didn't. 600 it yards. Better. Yeah, 600 yards down the tracks. It was a problem, but it was not the biggest catastrophic event in the world in the last 20 years, you know, and that that could have easily been that way because that would have, it would have blown up the entire time. I mean, all the gas lines and things like that you think of, I mean, it would have been, it would have been bad, but the blessing was, it was, you know, there was, there were no lives lost. There were no, no injuries that, that we have been able to bring. And, you know, 
as the, the communication kept coming out, I knew the main problem in our town for this specific set of, of instances was going to be communication. It was going to be communication from the top. It was where, you know, there's going to be a, a bunch of funding that's going to come in. Where is that going to go? Uh, who's going to take control? Is it, you know, who is going to stand and, and be like the PR person? Because no, I, I've been in the, the local government here. We had no PR. We had no training for anything like this. Not that anybody would, but when you're dealing with the media, you need someone that knows what they're looking for and to give them like bites at the apple as opposed to giving them the entire feast because. So let's think, yeah, let's take that there. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just no, want to build fine. on that. Um, you, you did serve on, on the town council. So you've yes. got experience in local government, which is really unique because you've got like the small business leader perspective, but you've also, you've done it. You've done the, the town council. So in a way you knew, you knew what the shortfalls were. Paint the picture for us as like, so you get, you get back pretty quick. Yeah, we got back uh, the Monday, I want to say. Yeah, that Monday, Monday. because it was a Friday that it happened. Yeah, Friday. If it was Friday, it happened. Saturday, uh, we were at Flag. Sunday was my birthday. And then Monday, we came back. Okay. All right. And so you you hustle back. And what do you see as you arrive in town? Talk us through the influx of the media. What was what was the external influence like on that town as you were coming into it? Yeah. So uh, first thing I noticed quickly was we weren't allowed in town. Right. So we were evacuated and I had to go for we landed in Canton. Um, I had to I had to drive from Canton to Pittsburgh, which is where we were staying with with my mom's family or my my wife's uh, family. And. To watch the news, right, from a Pittsburgh point of view, which they're they're regional, but they're not really close to it. And very rarely do you ever hear anything about our town. Um, it was it was eye opening, you know, because I'm watching you know, the, the middle school, the elementary school, uh, press conferences and, and all that stuff. And, and everybody's the, the world's watching East Palestine. What are they going to do? Um, I was, I, I was given a little bit of heads up that later that week when they did lift the evacuation, that they were going to lift the evacuation. I was told about 9am that there was a good possibility that it was going to happen, uh, by a friend of mine who's not even in town, but has, has, uh, local political ties. So I took it upon myself. I drove in um, to Columbiana, which is right down the road from East Palestine. And I had a couple meetings that I attended to that day. I waited until 5.30. The press conference was supposed to start at about 3. Didn't really start till 5.20-ish. 5.30, our governor, Mike DeWine, let people know that they were lifting the evacuation. Um, so people could come back to their homes by five 37, I was in my driveway by five 45, the first train whistle went by. I wow. mean, my, my family wasn't even home yet and I could, and it was, it, it was eerie. It was like a scene out of the walking dead because I was one of the first ones back into town. There was no traffic at all. Um, there were no cars on the streets really. Until you got to uh, the church there by McDonald's, where there was there was a lot of cars, but none of them were local. Uh, a lot of them were were from out of town. And I remember calling my wife and said, "You're not going to believe this. You're not back." She's still in Pittsburgh, and and the trains are rolling down the tracks that caused this thing in the first place. So I was I was a little bit in bit, bit in dis disbelief, and you know, I, I to my knowledge in talking to some of the higher ups that wasn't supposed to happen like that. They were told that the train should not be coming through until people are back in their homes. Um, but as we all know, uh, money rules everything. And, and they were losing $100 million over that, that course of three and a half days. So naturally, they, they had to get the train back on the track. Wow. But you know, you think about that from a PR perspective and just an optic. What a terrible optic. I mean, you know, even if you're going to do that, you know, communicating that to the local people to at least expect it or or some kind of dialogue you would expect, right? 
Yeah, from a PR standpoint, it wasn't good. It, it wasn't good for East Palestine. It sure as heck wasn't good for Norfolk Southern. Um, and even for our local government, you know, that, that basically owns the tracks, I probably would have waited a little bit to, to or, or, or told them, hey, if you're coming through, that's fine. But to leave the train whistles out of it. So at least we can, you know, uh, not creep everybody out. I mean, Scott, I, I grew up in this town, like I told you, I haven't heard a train whistle for 37 years. And as soon as I got back, it was the first thing I noticed. It, it was eerie. Yeah. It really is, man. And, and I think there's a real lesson there just from a strategic communications perspective, um, you know, that the train still could have rolled and something as simple as just, you know, do do something different with the whistle let people know it's coming. Wow. You know, that's, and, 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 because I've had so many people, DJ, tell me that same story from the town, you know, uh, that they were hearing train whistles before people were even back in their homes. And what a terrible narrative, like that just does not help you organizationally. So, but we're not, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to go down that road. I know a lot of people have gone down that road and you and I've had this discussion, like, you know, it's really not, I don't think that's how we best serve listeners here uh, but it is noted and and i think it's super it, it thank you for helping kind of paint what that looked like but tell it when you went in because your office is right there man i mean like the, the, the train went past your office just a little bit in the derail but um what was the effect like on your office because you spend a lot of time in there you broadcast from there yeah so we got studios here you see behind me this is our our front office where a lot of our guys kind of you know think tank right we got you know, the TVs and, and we can be communal. Um, it, it, so we were built from, you know, the basement, right? The, I, I, was, I started the company in the basement. Um, so, so we're built for this. We went through COVID. So we had some practice. Um, what the reality was is, is this is a place where, you know, we bring in, I, I want to say celebrities, but they're, I mean, the Jim Trestles of the world, the, the Ohio State coaches. Um, you know, local college coaches, high school coaches, high school players, college players, there was nowhere to go. You know, there was nowhere to, to have that, you know, to break that bread, to, to, to sit there and chat. And, um, I think everybody was a little scared because they see East Palestine in one form or another on the air every day at some point during the day. Um, you know, this is, we call it stream city. You know, this is our, that's our, 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 uh, our motto here, our mantra. Um, and stream city was down and I got, we had to, to communicate and we had like a, um, like a zoom call with everybody. And, and we said, listen, even though we don't know what's going to happen to HQ, uh, as of right now, it's closed. We are going to kick this thing's ass, you know, the same way we do everything else. When people count us out, that's when we are at our best. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that leaders lead from the front and, you know, I'm going to be in the foxholes with my guys. I'm never going to tell them to mop the floor if I don't mop the floor myself. Um, you know, I'm never going to tell them to go do big games or small games if I don't do them myself. So this was no different. This this is an opportunity um, for our guys to 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 see it and how to lead from real world experience. And um, I told him, hey, HQ is going to be shut down for a little bit. You know, the, there's a the sulfur run that runs right underneath our business. It's given an odor off that we're not sure exactly what it is. EPA is telling us it's okay, but I'm going to make extra care because we have people that have complications with, um, you know, you know he- their own health. And I would feel guilty as hell if uh, something happened to them. Me, I don't care. Like I- I'm making a conscious decision to to walk in and do it because it's my business and I'm taking accountability for it. But they didn't ask for this, you know, not that I did, but they did. They certainly didn't ask for this. Um, so we just we just went on. We did what we do and we went out and we did more games than we've ever done because I wanted people to know that even though the, the, the chips are low, the chips are down. We're going to go all in on this. And, you know, to the point where, you know, we just got the brand new truck and, and I said, hey, we could use some water to help out some people, um, you know, around the, the, the town and on the outskirts. If you want to show up, show up. We'll hand out some water. Um, we had people show up to hand out water. We had people show up giving water, uh, and we use it as a, a mobile, you know, a mobile unit to to get water to people that that either needed it or just felt like they needed it to talk or vent a little bit. And um, you know, it it was a special day 
that day that we did that. And, you know, I'll remember that for the rest of my life is people that thought that they were forgotten about. Um, just getting something as simple as a, a case of water was cool. And, um, you know, people that, that were scared. And I yeah. think building that confidence around people um, that, hey, this guy is visible in the community, has been for a long time. He's visible out in, in the region, the, the state, now the country. Um, and he's, he's willing to knock on my door and make sure that we were okay. And I, and I think in times of, of struggle, Scott, you probably know this better than anybody. Sometimes you just need a little bit of a, a confidence boost, a shot in the arm. And, and that's all these people needed. Right, man. And my, my dad taught me a long time ago that when you're, when you're hurting and you're, you know, the worst place you can be is in your head, you know, and, and just turn around and do something for somebody else, you know, and, and I tried to carry that through my career. I, I, I wasn't always great at it, but, but I do believe in it fully. Uh, and I think that it's another embodiment of what you did there. You know, you, you, you just, you just look to your left, look to your right and started, you know, doing something. Um, which is by definition, you know, that's community-based leadership, but there were other things going on in the community too, that you and I talked about. There were, there were, you know, population dynamics, trust dynamics that were happening. Paint the picture for us on that as well. So people are responding to this thing in different ways. How did that manifest as a community? What did you start to notice, uh, about some of the complexities surrounding this event with people? Yeah, so there was a about a nine day process when from this thing starting to me getting involved, um, being a local business, going up against in my head like I'm a competitor, so I'm always trying to size up who I'm going up against. Whether it's it's in a fight, whether it's in business, whether it's in sports, whatever, you got to know who your competition is. So there's a nine day period, Scott, that I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm kind of laying out the blueprint for what I need to do, fight or flight, right? And it would have been really easy for me. And those of you who know me or people that know me, it would have been the biggest challenge of my life to stay quiet and, and to stay in the background and just let everything happen. But there's, there's a, a set of circumstances that I had being a small business owner, um, being a foster parent, um, that if I step in the, on the wrong egg and it cracks, big trouble happens. If, I, if I'm in the business realm and I'm going up against a $56 billion a year uh, company, dollar a year company, and I'm not there and they squash me like a bug, they can do that. They've got money and, and that's going to do that. Um, from the government side, if I, if I stretch too far and you know, I say something that, that's not appealing to them, they can make things happen in my life that that would that would certainly I'd feel the side effects from for for years and possibly the rest of my life. Um, but I got a phone call and it was one of my mentors and and he he's he used to live in East Palestine, graduated from East Palestine, and he goes, "Listen, you're there, you're on the front lines. If you don't do it, then who is? Are we going to listen to everybody from you know this this network and this network and this network tell the narrative of?" you know, who we are from East Palestine, what we look like, um, and how we act, or are you going to show the fighter that, that lives in East Palestine and that isn't going to give up, that isn't going to be deterred by the negative Nancy's and the negative news and the, the, what could be's and the what ifs. Um, and I gotta be honest, it hit me. It hit me like a Mike Tyson punch right to the nose. Um, I woke up and I was ready to go. And I, I immediately, Talk to some of the the leaders in the town um, that I know, you, you, Matt and and some of the other guys, Matt Warner, who's been instrumental in in all of this. Um, and I said, listen, give me every single interview that we can get, because I'm going to let people know what East Palestine is, and I'm going to let people know that we're going to be okay, and I'm going to hold people accountable. And from from a standpoint, we talk about sound bites, and that's what you know the the media wants. I can speak in sound bites better than anybody yeah. that I know. So if I'm going to represent the town from an unofficial standpoint, as a resident, as a business owner, that's fine. But I'm going to let people know that there's people in this town that are, are willing to fight, that are willing to roll up their sleeves, dig in. And whoever wants to come help us, come help us. We're happy to have you. We'll, we'll have you over for dinner. We'll, we'll, we'll treat you like you're one of our own. But you got to help. This is not a photo opportunity situation. And those that are treating this as such will be asked to move along down the road because we need to get our town back to where it was. 
Um, there's people in here that, that ultimately want us to fail um, because as we've talked about, it's, it's much easier and much better to always look on TV and see people that are, are worse off than you do. It makes you feel a little bit better about yourself uh, in, in front of a television. But this is our real life. This is our true story. And I didn't work my ass off for 38 years to go down like this by the hands of somebody else. Uh, we're going to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps with people that I know and love and care about, whether we have had, uh, you know, our, our battles, you know, in yesteryear or not, we're all bulldogs. We're all going to fight and, and we're all going to get this thing back on track. And, you know, for me, sitting down with Norfolk Southern, sitting down with our government uh, and their officials and, and letting them know that we're looking for a partnership. And guess what? We can't win without you and vice versa. You're not going to win without us. Uh, and establishing that that connection pretty quickly made me feel better and, and trying to communicate it, which wasn't being had at the time, made it even even more so uh, beneficial for us. You know, there's so much, DJ, um, in what you just talked about that I want to unpack there. I mean, you just gave us all a masterclass on crisis leadership. And, and I want to unpack a few things because, you know, this is with rooftop leadership. This is something that we talk about all the time. In fact, you talk about Matt Werner. Matt was, you know, um, very advanced in rooftop leadership. We trained for years with him on this stuff. And um, but what you just talked about is just a natural application of it. You know, the first thing that I just want to call out a few things I heard you say, like the first one was you talked about nobody else is coming. You know, you looked around. I didn't work all these years to do all this. There's nobody else coming. And, you, and your mentor said, if you don't do this, who's going to do it? And, you know, I can't tell you how many times in my life, my old man has said, uh, you know, who are you not to do it? You know, and, and other folks have called me out on that. And I think we all, you know, thankfully uh, have had those moments where somebody, you know, you get that tap on the shoulder, I guess is where I'm going with this, that proverbial tap on the shoulder, that pivotal moment where you look around, it is really scary. Everybody else is stepping back. You have no idea what's going on. You're feeling like an imposter. And then, you know, someone, that little voice says, you got to step into the arena. And, and that's what you did. You answered that tap on the shoulder, you and a few other folks. And what I love about it, you, you didn't have a formal title, you know, for, you just, you, you knew that you were postured and positioned to be relevant. And I think that's what leadership lacks today is relevance. People who want to be relevant to people's goals and relatable to their pain, you know, and you did that. And the, the access that you had to your own platform, this is another thing that I encourage people. We went through this with Pineapple. You know, we didn't have any resources or money. We had our cell phones and we had relationships and, and we, we reached across the pond like many other volunteer groups and we did the best we could. But the point is we had access to platforms that otherwise we've, we haven't had ever, at any point in history, but, but we do, we have the means to influence. We can go local, but it can have be far reaching. And then the last couple of things I'll just point out here is I love the fact that you have trained for this. You, you, you were used to taking the mic. You could speak in sound bites. You knew the game, you know, and I, and I love the fact that you've all your training led you up to this point and you realized it. And then you engaged, you even engaged Norfolk Southern. And one of the things you said to me, and I'll end on this was, you know, you, you kind of laid it out is like, Hey, and you told him this is, this can go one of two ways. And we both have a say in it and you can't do it without us and we can't do it without you, but you engage them. You connected. It wasn't a, it was a, it was kind of a collaborative threat. Um, but that's all very, very skillful, artful stuff, man. And, and impactful looking back on it now, what did you feel like you weren't prepared for? What, if you could go back and do something different, what would you do different? I guess, and I probably should have, I think I was blinded by the light a little bit of how negative people want this to be, right? Mm -hmm. How, how negative that they want this. They, they want, it, it, this sounds gruesome. They, I think they want people to die, you know, and, and, and I say they, and you can fill that in however you'd like. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's sad because I see this as a blessing, right? I see this as an opportunity a, 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 you know, for, for a partnership. This town's been looking for an identity for so long. Not that we want to train Derelma to, to be our identity, but 
a $56 billion company comes in here and makes a mistake and there's 1,400 train derailments a year, Scott, and nobody's been treated the way that we've been treated right. in East Palestine. And I see this as, a, I, I, I hesitate to say a gift, but I see this as an opportunity. And again, they need us as much as we need them, but there's so much distrust in our government. There's so much conspiracy theory and, you know, they opened up a wormhole or something like that in our town with this train. Der- like, there, it's so much. We can't just accept things for what they are anymore, which is this was an accident. You know, people are going after the CEO of the company. And I tell people all the time, well, you know, they, they give me, why do you, why do you like this guy so much? It's not that like, we're not friends, but I, I, I identify and I sympathize with him because we're knee to knee. This guy had a, an accident happen. I, I own a sports streaming company. There's been times where I get emails and letters and borderline death threats from parents for saying something that somebody else said on my network. I had nothing to do with it. Alan Shaw did not drive the train that led to this accident. He is simply a figurehead and he's doing everything and saying everything he can to assure people that he's going to make it right. And when I look back, I didn't, I I can't believe the negative people that are, are constantly just putting fear and striking fear into the minds and the hearts of people of all ages, the elderly, the middle-aged, the kids, the youth that, that will be here tomorrow, um, constantly talking about, it's not safe, it's not safe. L- listen, I'm not a scientist. If the EPA tells me that they've done an absorbent amount of tests and it's coming back normal, if, if I have a, a guy that comes in and says, my water is fine, and he shows me and he dictates it, who am I? to tell them they're wrong. I mean, I believe in science and a lot of the other stuff. Um, you know, I, I believe in science when I'm going to the, the, the checkout line and they scan it across and they go beep, beep, and it's 269 for, you know, eggs or whatever it is. Um, you know, I believe it whenever it comes to gas prices. Who am I to tell the EPA they're doing their job wrong? Who am I to tell Norfolk Southern they're doing their job wrong? I mean, accidents happen every day. And I'm, and I'm not saying I'm not going to hold these people accountable. and and, and and help hold their feet to the fire and, and, you know, make sure that the, what they say does come to fruition, but they need us to work with them. And I think that our world here in Northeast Ohio, not just East Palestine can be much better. If we just bring them in a little bit closer and say, Hey, what do you need? How, how can I help? I mean, we talk about being one of the nicest communities. We have to, to, to do that. We have to be good stewards of each other's trust. And I think to this point, um, that just hasn't happened. Yeah, it's tough, man. And, and, you know, you were telling me something that I, that hit me really hard was how all of the negative press and the negative narrative. And like you said, there's people that probably want some really bad outcomes here just because of the ratings, which is just incorrigible to me, but, but I think you're right. And, and, uh, but you, you talked to me also about the, just the local impact that this has had on sports uh, for the kids in the town. Talk about that a little bit, because I want people to understand that these kinds of, you know, when external actors roll into local situations like that and they, they try to hijack the narrative and they put things out there, there are secondary and tertiary effects to that kind of shit that, that, that really affect lives in a very real way. Yeah, this one pissed me off a little bit, and, and, and I know it's in, it, it's really got Matt kind of his venom spewing a little bit. Um, you know, the the local, I guess, the regional tournaments and stuff like that were canceled immediately um, before any tests were even concluded. And the frustrating part is when you talk about tournaments, it, it brings revenue into the schools, to the programs, to you know the experiences for the kids. Um, you know, I, I heard. There was one guy even told me that nobody wanted these Palestine kids to come to their tournament because they thought that they were, you know, glowing or something along those lines. I mean, it's just sick. You know, it's it's wrong. These kids, you know, it, let's say that a, a a tournament gets canceled. Some of those kids may not never play again. You know, they, they see it as a bad thing. And that has a domino effect as well, uh, as much as positivity does. Negativity, probably more so with that domino effect. 
Uh, Matt Warner has done an excellent, excellent job of kind of leading from the midst and, and, and letting people know that, hey, if they're telling us it's okay to live here, please come here and play. Please come here. I mean, this uh, Chris Neifer, the superintendent, uh, Dwayne Pavkovich, the athletic director, have done a, a phenomenal job of educating, not just by themselves, but by bringing in the experts, the Ohio EPA, the federal EPA, um, you know, local scientists and, and, and letting people know and doctors and saying, hey, it's OK to play here. Like if we're going to play, play here and yeah. we're not we're not going to move our home games because there still is a momentum that comes with playing in your own backyard. And, yeah. you know, everybody wants, wants us to, to pick up and just go there. This isn't one of those situations. There's right. nothing that's, that's showing us that we can't play in our own stadiums, in our own, on our own fields, in our own gyms, things of that nature. And, you know, we had to eliminate that stigma. And I give a lot of the credit to those guys that I mentioned before and Matt and Chris and Dwayne, because they've been able to almost completely eliminate that uh, from the entire process. Yeah, I love it. I, I love the way you guys have battled back with a counter narrative or actually a, a competing narrative. You've battled back with a narrative that outcompetes the narrative that's based in fear. And, and that's the problem, DJ, is that and we talk about this all the time on the podcast is that we live in a trust depleted society. You know, we are in a different time than when you and I were kids. And, you know, trust has really eroded and people are more uh, engaged in this represented reality of this dopamine dispenser. And so all of those things conspire to create an absence of trust. And so we're operating in a fear-based, almost a trance state before the train wrecks, before the pandemic hits, before the recession sets in. And what that does is it propels us into an environment that is not only a crisis, but where normally we would have that baseline of social capital and trust to fall back on each other with, it's eroded. And so you immediately go into factions and tribes and everybody, it's fear-based and everybody is just protecting whatever they think is their own, like literally their own equity, their own life, their own kin. And it becomes Lord of the Flies, man. And, and then you guys are left holding that bag you know, as these horrible narratives make it into a, a 30 second soundbite. And so I, I really applaud what you guys are doing on that. I'm asking our viewers and I'm asking our listeners to really, really dig into these conversations and, and realize that this could happen in your town. This could happen in your community. This could happen in your business. And, um, you know, what you guys are showing us, DJ, is that there is a pathway out of it but it's not easy. So what, where does East Palestine go from here? It's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Um, and that's one of them. And, and, and for us, it's, it's onward and upward, man. We, like I've been trying to, you know, with a, with a, a good group of people move us towards that light and, and, you know, lead by example. And this is what the, the, the end game is, but, you know, I feel like every time that we, we try to plan for, for a touchdown, we move the goalposts on ourselves and we just right. have to, to commit to something, you know, and, and trust each other. Um, you know, you talk about trust again, it's, we have to trust each other and look to your neighbor, to your left, look to your neighbor, to your right. Like you said earlier, and, and we need to go, okay, what do we want to do here? Do we want this to be a town that is uh, you look back and you say, Oh, what a tragedy it was on February 3rd, 2023. Or do we want to look back and say, Look how this town bounced back to have the greatest American comeback in the history of our country. They could have absolutely rolled over and played dead, but instead they stood up and they showed the country how to recover, not from, you know, tragedy, but from something that could have been tragic, should have been an absolute catastrophe. But they saw that as a warning sign and they went the other way. They, they showed us the light. And I think if, if people know the spirit of uh you know us in not only in east palestine but in ohio we our our our, our state's shaped like a heart and that's all we have sometimes and, and that's all we're going to give and, and until we can figure out essentially what needs to happen we're going to have everybody's heart in the country and, and, and tell people we're going to be okay and we appreciate your thoughts your prayers and your support because this this little small town in america is going to do some big things in the future no, man, I love it. And, 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 you know, I love the way that you guys look around and realize that right now nobody else is coming and, and, and you know, you're going to have to figure it out. 
Um, and you're showing us, the rest of us, I think what leadership really looks like in these kinds of times. Um, two more questions to wrap sure. up. What, what advice would you give um, small business owners and small town residents uh, about something like this? Like, what have you learned that, boy, I wish we had had this in place? Or what would you tell leaders of a small town to pay attention to um, in the event that something like this comes their way? That's simple. It's communication. It, it's communication. It's you can't train for for devastation, but you can prepare for communication, right? To be able to understand, okay, what are the lines? What does it look like? You know, where does it start? Where does it end? And I've been an advocate when I was on council. We we built a website for these very reasons. Um, the web website was very underutilized, still is to this day. Uh, when you get on social media, <laughs> if there is not uh, information, it is a breeding ground for speculation. And mm -hmm. everybody's an expert on social media because, you know, I mean, there's there's people that, you know, I know personally that that had a hard time passing their high school and getting a high school diploma, but now are like professional chemistry uh, teachers you know, and, and could tell me everything about vinyl chloride and, and all that stuff. And, and, and you know, like it, it's, it's, it's a scary spot, but you, to me as a small business owner, I locked arms with the people I trust the most, uh, no matter what our history is. And I said, let's go. Like, this is, this is a business deal. This is a business negotiation and we're going to fight as if our lives depend on them, depend on it. And we're going to win. And whatever that looks like, I don't know, but we're going to win. I mean, Rocky just wanted to go the distance, right? Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. We're going to go the distance, man. And whether that's Norfolk Southern, whether that's our government, whether that's the EPA, I don't know who the hell we're fighting, but we're going to win and we're going to go the distance. And whether we're, you know, at the end of the, the day, when they're ringing the bell, they're going to be raising our hand because I, I truly believe that nobody gets out of this clean until East Palestine tells them they do. I love it, man. I was going to ask you what you wanted people outside East Palestine to know, but I think you just told us. Is there anything, uh, DJ, just an amazing interview, dude. You're an amazing human being. I'm, I'm so, so proud and honored to know you and uh, call you a friend. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you want to hit that we, we need to cover? No, I just think that the, the narrative of East Palestine shouldn't be feel bad for us. And we, we appreciate the support. There's no doubt that, that a lot of us need it here. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we love the prayers. We love every the support and the showing of, of, of community and, and EP strong and all that stuff. That means the world to us. Um, but just know, like you said earlier, Scott, that this could have happened to anybody. You know, think about it, close your eyes and think about the train tracks in your own hometown. And it could have happened right there. And the biggest thing is know that, you know, again, we're going to win and, and we're going to show the American people what it's like to come back because there's a lot of people right now, not to get political. There's a lot of people right now that aren't, aren't believing too strong in, in the, the fruits and, and the, the fabric of our, of our country. And East Palestine to me, right this moment can be the breeding ground and the, the, the rejuvenation of our country and show that no matter what you're up against and no matter who puts you there, you're able to climb up, grab yourself up by your bootstraps and climb that ladder rung by rung we're going to get this thing right. And, and hopefully that's, that's the way that uh, people perceive us from now on is just a bunch of hardworking people that are going to make sure that, you know, they do the best for their families, their communities, and their kids. I love it, man. And, you know, we talk about it on the podcast this time in the early 1900s when America was in a very low place, much like it is now with, you know, haves and have nots and, you know, divisionist politicians and uh, all kinds of infrastructure problems, but there was an upswing during that time of, you know, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous was started then and the Rotary Club and the Junior League and all these amazing uh, grassroots movements that we grew up with, uh, you know, actually started during the early 1900s. And I think I've, I've contended that we are due for another upswing right now. I believe Pineapple Express and these other volunteer groups, I believe what's happening in East Palestine, uh, when nobody else is coming, you know, it's leaders like you, DJ, that step up and and Matt and others that show us what leadership looks like. So, man, I'm super proud of you guys. I, I want to stay connected with you on this. We're going to put a whole uh, series of interviews. Um, I'm calling it the Buried Stories of East Palestine just because I want the stories out. 
and um, we're going to put them up on the podcast. I encourage everybody to go deep on these things. Uh, we'll continue. I hope you'll come back on. Uh, I'd love to have you come back on and just talk about the sports network and what are you, where you're going with that. I think people are really, really uh, keen to check that out. So, brother, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for being on. Um, and thanks to all of our listeners and viewers. Uh, if you feel so inclined, please share this with someone that needs to see it. Uh, if you'd like to give us a rating, we'd love that too. But most of all, we just love having you in here. Thanks for what you do. And I'll see you on the rooftop.